What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain before we get started, I want to talk about my new clothing collection launched through Onnit called the Aubrey Marcus Collection. So I love fashion, I love style, but living in Austin, I find it hard to actually shop for anything. You know, the t-shirt cuts are kind of off the rack, they blossom out at the bottom, nothing really fits right. So even like trying to get a plain tee, I have a really hard time unless I'm shopping in LA or shopping in New York or shopping in Vegas and I have my shops. So I figured there's a lot of other people around the country who kind of feel the same way. And so I started working with my Italian designer friend, Giuseppe, and we worked together on a former clothing line called Space and now kind of evolved it to the grown-up version with the Aubrey Marcus collection. Went back and forth over a year with all the help of the Onnit design team and launched the Aubrey Marcus collection. It has kicks, it has joggers, it has sweat jeans, it has a knit blazer, a bunch of different cool shirts with different cuts. I'm literally wearing at least one of these pieces every single day. I love them. I think you guys will love them too. You can find it at AubreyMarcusCollection.com and follow on Instagram at AubreyMarcusCollection. This podcast with Tim Kennedy got me super fired up. He's a real-life American hero, Delta Forces sniper, Special Forces in the Army. He was one of the top UFC fighters, I think all the way up to number three. Don't get mad if I'm wrong about that, Tim, but you were pretty close to number three, one of the best fighters in the world. And also now he's this TV star out hunting for Hitler's ghost down in Argentina. And then in this new show, he's getting exploded in every variety of way. And he comes out to work out in the gym, you know, a couple times a week. He's the nicest guy. He is the epitome of what it means to be a modern day hero. And he talks to us today about how we all can be modern day heroes. So I really enjoyed this episode. I know you guys will as well. What's up, brother? God, I love being back in Austin. Yeah, man, it's good. So you were just saying right before we jumped on here that you're fucked up right now. What's going on? Why you, how you get fucked up? How does, how does the world provide <laughs> enough resistance to fuck up Tim Kennedy? That makes me scared about the world, Tim. I, I find it. I look for it. I seek it. You know, I think um, you're cut from the same cloth where... Like we, we, we try to inspire, we try to encourage, and the only way to do that in, in a leadership sense is from the front, right? Yep. Like first person off, first person to step in, last guy to step off, last person to step away. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, um, people have to see that. You know, I can't say that this is what courage looks like. This is, um, this is what I think fearlessness looks like. I, I have to go and show the world um what i think that looks like and that, yeah. that that's my journey that i'm on right now um 
I've done three years with History Channel hosting a TV show, and then I did you find that motherfucker? No. Yet? Well, there's still a few episodes left, <laughs> but uh, he has been a sli- he's been a slithery little dude for a while. Yeah, you you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> um. And but they're they're still could he look. could Hitler just be dead? Oh, he's definitely dead. <laughs> and if he weren't dead, then I would surely murder him the moment I found him. In the most painful, I mean, I'd be like, I saw Doc Simpson that comes. What if me. you? What if you really found him? Did you ever? Did that ever cross your mind? Oh, like, I like you could about be, that you could be going time. into Argentina, yes. and all of a sudden yes. you see old ass Hitler, and then yeah. you're like, you motherfucker, there you are. Yeah, I'd be like, somebody get an IV. <laughs> I would try to find the best doctors on the planet to sustain his life, so I could hurt him for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah, that's what I would that's do. Fair. And uh, so. I'm doing a show for Discovery Channel called Hard to Kill. Uh-huh. And I go and I find a job that guys die in. Guys or gals die in all the time. And then we find an example of where they definitely, absolutely, positively, unquestionably should have died. And then I go and I do that day. Whatever, mm. whatever that is. If you're an Arctic helicopter pilot and you crash in the Arctic Ocean, you have to swim to an iceberg and fight off bears cool, let's put Tim in a helicopter, fly him into the Arctic Ocean, crash that helicopter into the water, make him swim to an iceberg and see if he lives. Um, you know, Was he, that an actual episode or is this a hypothetical episode? That is not hypothetical. <laughs> so, when, Aubrey, when I say I am fucked up, I am fucked up. Uh, when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm texting, like, you know, we, we had, um, who, who's your Iceman? Uh, uh, Wim Hof. Yeah. When, when I'm, like, texting everybody, like, hey, w- w- what's Wim Hof's... Um, Text message because I, I need to ask some questions because I'm going to be in 33 degree water for like two hours tomorrow. Um, it's like not joking. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And like you really need it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not not just turning the shower nozzle to cold, no, which no. is a good idea for all of us mere mortals. Mm. Turn the shower nozzle to cold, yeah. but dropping from an R22 into 33 degree water and having to swim a mile to an iceberg and then live on the iceberg. The second level. That's stupid. Maybe that's the, just straight maybe up the, dumb. Maybe the hundredth level. Um, Avalanches, uh, halo jumps, burning up planes stuck in the desert. Like, the coolest part about all of this is I think there's this massive group of people that have been doing things for our way of life that nobody appreciates. Mm-hmm. Like, when, how, often, how often do you fly? It's kind of like dirty jobs, but on like the dangerous, the most dangerous yeah. aspect. Yeah, like you know? fear factor, dirty jobs, jackass. But hopefully, it's more um, like Anthony Bourdain sights unseen. Yeah, like that's what I want it to be. Is yeah. where we're gonna learn about, you know, we we fly a hundred times, two hundred times a year. Like who who knows how many times we fly? But we we go and we sit in this chair, right? And we're we're waiting for our um, our beverage service and those and those peanuts. Um, but we've never thought about the thousands of guys that have died to make that a normal, safe thing for us, right? Those mm-hmm. experimental test pilots, the flies guys that flew the SR seventy one. We got to the moon. I mean, we freaking got landed on the goddamn moon. You know, like that's pretty cool. So in that journey, in that process, we've, we've just forgotten that there's no crash test dummies. There's no um, simulator that's going to be like, okay, this plane's going to fly. It's going to be a dude with balls the size of coconuts that's going to sit in a cockpit and be like, yeah. We'll I'll give see, it a go. Let's see if I can fly it. Yeah. I mean, think about that. It's crazy. So trying to pay credence to some of these people that have done these things, that is the purpose of this, this whole entire show. It's yeah. not about me. It's not about <laughs> me being tough or surviving these things it's like somebody actually did it yeah and now you get to shine a light on that yeah. by actually doing yeah it let me put a spotlight on these group of people that do the selfless thing to put food on our table so you can go see your family on christmas so you know we, we we can forget about so we can get antibiotics to a farm village in alaska all the things that we just totally take for granted are real life for some people yeah 
That's and badass. So, all right. So, tell us about some of these, some of the most challenging of these different episodes. <sighs> Obviously, the ice, the cold water swim. Cold that sucks. Had, that had to be a fucking beast. Yeah. Um, fire sucks. Yeah. I, I was stuck in a cockpit of a plane uh, that was on fire, and the cockpit melted closed, and I was stuck inside as it filled with smoke. The seatbelts. I harness. mean, they're making this really real. So the only <laughs> the only thing we have from Discovery Channel is no stunts and make it real. Like there's not make it real, it is real. Like there's no there's no the plane is on fire and Tim needs to get out of the cockpit. If I get out easily, so be it. It's not very exciting television, but great. Tim doesn't right. get burnt. Um, if it's hard and I have to tear the cockpit off and I burn my back up pretty bad, the harness melts off, my t-shirt melts off. And um, I, I spend a couple of days on respirators. Then that's what happens, and that's what happened. You know, so that's um, that that's the the kind of bummer part about the what show. Is, what is it like knowing when? I mean, you're sitting there, and you know they're about to light your plane on fire. Yeah. I mean, because when it actually happens, it's like, oh shit, crash, plane's on fire. Yeah. You know, you've been in those situations in Warren where just shit pops off. Yep. Right. But this one is different because you know that someone's out there with a the fucking flamethrower or whatever they're using yeah. to light the plane on fire. Yeah. So you have to like intentionally move forward to it, not just react to what's actually happening. I mean, stress inoculation, when you're, when you're in the gym, you know, we're on academics right next door, right? Yeah. Um, today, we're doing this 300 workout, and Juan hits the timer. Beep, 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 and we go, right? right. It's a race. Right. I, I have Tommy Shane Steiner. I have another one of your employees. I have my strength coach, and I have how many professional athletes are in there right now? 40, 50 yeah. in the gym right now, getting ready for the combine. So, and they're all watching the, the hairy white <laughs> troll in the corner, you know, who, who looks like um, he's been beaten for the past and starved for the past five months. You know, he's kind of a, a pit bull that's been electrocuted and he's just stuck in the cage. So, like, the eyes are on me, and I know they are, and the timer's going, and now everybody's watching who's going to be first. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, like, it's still, you just got to perform. You know, and whether that's walking into the octagon, a helicopter is landing, and you see muzzle flashes, all you got to do is perform. And you either prepared for it or you didn't. You're going to succeed or you're going to fail. And, and there's nothing wrong with failure. Mm -hmm. and I think that's what everybody forgets is failure is awesome. Failure is the greatest learning tool. Failure is the greatest opportunity for growth. You know, like, how do we get faster? How do we get stronger? How do we get harder to kill? We fail. Yep. Our muscles ultimately reach a point where they go go fuck yourself aubrey and then they learn and they learn the body is a perfect learner it is you know that's something that we don't realize yep. like it will perfectly learn it and will. adapt as long as you don't teach it too harshly that it breaks yep. you know if you make it through it will learn and the mind's the same yeah so when i'm sitting there and you know there's there's things that definitely got my heart going like we didn't properly dilute the engine so there's aviation fuel inside of the engine that we didn't take into consideration, so aviation fuel burns. Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> got you there, freaking idiot. You know that's that's what I was going through my head. I was like, oh yeah, there's still fumes in there. Fumes burn. Fumes burn faster than actual solid fuel. This is gonna suck. Whoosh, and then boom, yeah. and it goes. Uh, you know, there's moments like that where you know. I, was, you, I mean, do things go really slow when you when you have that? Like that's what I've experienced oh, when adrenaline, adrenaline is a beautiful. It's this like drug. You know? And you can think back to like, like nanoseconds, right? You know, like tiny right, little right. milliseconds of your mind of like, okay, my hand was moving towards my harness to get it, and I was pushing forward so hard, 
Oh, and that they melted, that they, I didn't even have to open my harness because it just melted off the seat. Yeah. Um, but you remember every detail, the smell of the seat. It's fucking wild how that happens. You know, I only have one real experience where I can 100% recognize that, and that was, all right, so I'm driving on, I think it was like 71 out by B-Caves. Anyways, two lanes and two lanes, but fast, like 75, right? There's a cop chasing a car mm. coming across me in the other lanes. I'm in the left lane towards the middle. And I'm watching this cop chasing the car. And then in my lane, someone is making a left-hand turn, stopped ahead. But I'm busy watching in my rear view, watch the cop chase this guy behind. So I'm not paying attention that someone had stopped to make a left-hand turn out of my lane. And I'm going 65. Yeah. And I look, and I, by the time I see it, no fucking chance of braking, right? So then in, everything just goes super slow motion. And I like look to my right, boom, blocked in car in the right hand lane and then i'm like look to the left there's nobody in that next left lane so i cross over the double yellow go around him on the other side of the traffic but that happened what happened what must have been a quarter of a second yeah. half a second i remember like every little fiber turning my neck one way seeing that car remembering the car looking back the other way and moving it's fucking insane think about though the millions of little things that you've done in the past, let's just say, five years, just to make it easy, that you were able to okay, put anybody else in that same situation, they smash in that car and everybody dies, right? Now, how many times I, I, I walked into your office, I picked up that sword and I started farting around with your sword, right? But <laughs> yeah. how many times you picked up that sword and you've moved with it? How many times have you sparred with it? Yeah. How many times have you made the hand-eye coordinations and the quick split-seconds decisions to avoid somebody coming in to stab you or to slice you, you know, like, sure. And, and, and grow that to how many times you've trained and how many times you've moved a kettlebell and how many times you've moved a rope and what you drank that day, how much you slept and how much water that you had. And how, if you had sex, if you did all those millions of little decisions contributed to your ability to, in that split second, perform hundred percent. Yeah. Even every, that's why sports are so beautiful. And like all of these, all forms of training are so beautiful. You know, may, all right, maybe it's a maybe it's a pass that's coming and a defender that's coming, and you have that, and you have three thousand people watching you from the stands, and it matters, and your girls there, and the stakes are high. Yeah. It's still a game; it's still basketball, but that's training you to react in that instinct yeah. and make the right decision. And so, yeah, all of that surely prepared me for that one moment, which may be the reason I'm fucking sitting here yeah. and not my. Man, Aubrey was a good dude. He had a lot of potential, yeah. you know. It's wild. Thank you know? God for it, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and the beauty of the human organism that has these endogenous cocktails that it can just release. You know, your mind can perceive something and it can recognize danger. Release something that'll slow time. It's like we're fucking little superheroes. Yeah. Like we have this thing, this button that can be pressed in our endocrine system that'll just like. Does everybody and have time that slows. though? I guess to a certain degree, I, I mean, I'm sure some people's are more honed and it's been practiced more yeah. and the body knows it, but it's, it's There's there. There's cool stories of like the most unassuming, the unsuspecting, you know, mom who's the car, they're changing oil and the car falls off the jack and the kid gets stuck underneath the car and the mom picks up the car. Yeah. You know, like you, you read those or the firefighter that climbs up and um, to grab a kid that's stuck on the third floor and the the um the drainage pipe on the side is now red hot and he gets the kid in one hand and he climbs down the pipe using his other hand which then melts to the bone and you read about and he just turned off his pain receptors and melted his hand to save this kid so like but then you read about um like 
people injecting themselves with heroin while they're seven months pregnant. You yeah. know, like we're still the same species. <laughs> what the fuck though? You know, like how, right. how can we find such such a gamut? Yeah, this this spread, this diversity, this this gap this space between remarkable and unexceptional. And I think that's kind of infuriating. It it <laughs> is. Like, yeah, it is. And I think some of this is some of this is momentum, early choices leading to other choices leading to other choices but i think we have so much more potential than we realize and i and i think a lot of times people get really deterministic you know how well is their environment but i'm i'm a real strong proponent of free will you know sometimes maybe it's just a small margin but most of the choices are just small margins do i go to the gym or do i watch tv you know it's not like you you have to have a big difference it's kind of like eh, 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 and just that little bit extra you know that little bit like you said, something you had for breakfast or maybe a motivational quote you read that day on Instagram because you follow this person. You're like, man, that guy, I followed Tim. That got me fired up. I saw some cool shit he was doing. I followed Jocko and he was fucking got me fired up this morning. So I am going to go to the gym. And then by going to the gym, then you have more energy. Then you have sex with your wife and then you sleep better and then you wake up the next day better. You know, and that's kind of the basis of what I was writing in this book is it's just like these little small changes and it can work the opposite way too. You know, down in this kind of negative spiral. Oh, well. I don't feel good. Well, we'll make. Oh, maybe I'll just take this painkiller and then just yeah. veg out, and then maybe I'll just eat the hot Cheetos instead of sautéing the veggies, and then I'll maybe you know yep. all of a sudden down it's there, slope. it's a slippery slope both ways. But you can stop it and change momentum at any point. At yeah. any point, no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, you can decide right now that my next choice is going to be towards the positive, and that's all you fucking need. Yeah, and they're never like right turns. You know, it's, it's not like a, a 90 degree change, this course. It's like you said, it's this minuscule, tiny little course correction. Like veterans, you know, I do a ton of military, law enforcement, and these guys, they're struggling from post-medic stress, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, oh man, I'm, having a, like, I'm, I'm not sleeping well. And I was like, what did you eat for dinner? How many times did you train? Mm-hmm. You know, did you have sex with your old lady? You know, no, 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 and no. Then shut your face. You know, like, no, I'm not going to help you. Do the little things first. Yeah, talk to a doctor about getting you on an antidepressant when you have zero discipline to make any of the right choices to set yourself up for success. Right. You know, like, I should be a mess. The things that I've done, the things that I've seen, you know, there's, there's, I should be a broken mental disaster. But how how many times do you see me in your gym? Every time I'm home. I mean, the moment my plane lands, Juan, what's your schedule this week? Right. You know? The moment I get done training, walking up to the cafe is like, oh, man, can you give me that coconut joy? Just a splash of coffee, you know, and like, life gets so freaking good. And then I get home, baby's still at school. What's the old lady doing? You know, hey, hottie, what are you, freaking sleep my little ass. And everything just gets better and sweeter yeah, and yeah, tastes yeah. better and just keeps getting better and better and better. But like, it goes both ways. You know, you either make the right little tiny choices. And guys ask about gunfights. Like, how, how did you survive that? And I was like, well, it didn't matter what I did then and there. You know, a cop, Boston, Boston bombing, you know, chasing those guys. They finally get them cornered. Like, how do you set yourself up for success that time? Like, it didn't, and they, they say the same thing. It didn't matter what I did then and there. It was a million little de- decisions and choices leading up to that. Yeah. That determined whether I succeeded or I failed or whether the guy got away or they didn't or whether I died and I failed my team members or I died and I failed my family or, you mm-hmm. know, like millions of little decisions. I'm pumped to read your book, by the way. <laughs> Fuck I'm yeah, pumped. man. Fuck yeah. Let's let's talk. Let's go into the darkness a little bit. Let's let's talk about some of that. My old friend. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, darkness, yeah. my old friend. Yeah. Um, you're in a you're in a 
very rare category of someone who's not only knocked people unconscious in front of millions of people in the UFC, which is one type of feeling, but that's in kind of the sports realm and it's a much different feeling. But then in the combat and, co and competition for where lives, freedom, things are at stake, you know, you've also been the taker of life in that situation. And it's got to be, you know, kind of worlds apart in how you how you look at that. But but what is that? What is that feeling on both of those both of those fronts? Uh, not that like. I know you know this about me. I'm not like this mentalist, you know, like uh, like this existential perspective. Sure. But it's almost unreal. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to it's surreal. It's it's hard to explain. Now it's like it's an out of body experience. But I remember. You know, walking when walking up to the cage, main event fight in the UFC to fight Michael Bisbing, who later came middleweight champion. Mm -hmm. um, and the lead up to that fight, where you know a lot of things exchanged, and walking into the cage, you know, to the song "The Rooster," my walkout song, which is about you know Vietnam vets, so like a huge emotional connection there. Yep, and um, it's uh. How do you explain what that feels like? You know, where your main event, one of the biggest cards in the UFC of the year, and you're fighting the marquee fighter that later becomes the middleweight champion. Um, it's almost like for that moment, you're the most important. You're the most important thing happening in the world. I mean, maybe not, and maybe not in actuality, but it, but it's got. It is kind of like that because it it's like. a main event UFC. You're the guy. You're on the main event, and that's the thing that's going on. That's what. That's the Saturday night thing. Yeah. It's oh, it's the UFC fights. Oh, we got oh, we got Tim Kennedy, Michael. B it's it's it. It's a very rare, very rare position. I mean, obviously, Super Bowl guys, they they feel it now. Yeah. You know, Tom Brady, he's been there a bunch of times. Like next Sunday, that is the thing that is happening yeah. that matters the most. <laughs> you know, in in culture at the very least. You know, it's it's wild. So I have this thing that that like goes through my head when I know it's on the line. When I know bullets are gonna fly, when I know it's like it's real, and um, when I'm training today, 45 minutes ago, in my mind it was like hurry up and fail. That, that's what I say to myself: hurry up and fail, hurry up and fail. Like push myself so hard where I finally break. When I'm doing, we're doing, you know, doing box jumps, pull-ups, deadlifts, thrusters, rows. I don't remember all what we we're doing. Like just go fuck myself, you know. But <laughs> yeah. I was rushing to finally break. I wanted to find that point, right? But when I go in, it's time to perform. It's, you know, I, I, I hear that, that training montage in my mind, hurry up and fail, hurry up and fail. And then I, then I tell myself, not today. Like, this is the day where you're not gonna break me. This is, I'm not gonna fail. There's nothing I can do because I've pushed myself to breaking so many times every day I walk through the doors that it's not gonna fucking happen today. And that's what I tell myself whether it's Michael Bisming, whether it's a helicopter. I've done it so many times in the gym, hurry up and fail, that when I walk in, this is not going to happen today. There's not going to be any failure. I love that. That's fucking, that's fucking epic. Because oh. people don't think about it like that. People, want, people are so afraid of the failure. You know? And it's, it's probably that fear of failure is probably the thing it's like a wet blanket that covers everybody's joy and everybody's expression and everybody's just kind of flopping around underneath this 
cold, wet blanket of fear of actually failing. And then a few people burst through and they dramatically fail and then they fall back into the blanket maybe for a second and then boom, back yeah. out until eventually they just leave that motherfucker behind. And then you look up in the sky and you see that person that's not afraid of failing anymore. Yeah, what, and then if we even try to define what failure is, you know, so we get done with this horrific workout and there's 30, 40 professional athletes like these monster, beautiful, <laughs> black, ripped dudes, and this huge six-foot-five white guy that has no body fat. And, like, I'm trying not to throw up, and they're doing vertical leap measurements, yeah. right? And I have hair on the back of my hands. <laughs> like, I am, like, one generation removed from a tree. And, of course, like, hey, Tim, come over here. And I was like, oh, God, no. You know? <laughs> but sure as shit, I walk over there, and I was like, you guys want to see me? You want to see me jump, right? <laughs> like, you want to see, see my, what my vertical leap is? Now, what's failure there? Is failure not doing it? So am I going to have a 34-inch leap like that wild receiver that just went right before me? Yeah. I'm not. Right. Right? But guess what? I'm going to try to get one. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try to get Hell a 34. Yeah. Hell yeah, right? Hell yeah. But so then failure. Because failure is a myth. That's right. It's a fucking myth. Failure is in your own mind. Failure is in your own body. Failure is in your own muscles. And that's it. You know, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth failed how many times in the batter box and yeah. then became the most known home run hitter ever. Michael, Jack, Michael Jordan failed how many times from the free throw line or from the three-point line sure. became the most known basketball player ever to play the game. You know, Ty, like Tiger Woods failed in so many different ways, but he'll be remembered as one of the best golfers yep. ever. Even thinking, all, back, so even thinking back to your jump, you know, with you just giving it, you giving it, and you like, all right, so you'll hit some and you'll knock those little levers. It's like these little levers, for people who don't know, that spin around, yeah. right? And you try to get the, the highest lever you can get. So you usually go one jump and you'll get most of them. And everybody would be like, ooh, good job. But then you'll, you'll rally for the second one because you want to see if you can just touch I that one I rallied for the third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did. Yes, right? I did. You fucking rally again. And then everybody's watching. And it's, it's not whether you even hit another one. It's whether you just fucking give it. You know, you just stretch all the way you can. And people know no. that you're stretching. And if you do hit one of those, people are stoked. No. They're not measuring you against somebody else. Just the fact that you gave it. Like, people are excited. And it doesn't matter if you're doing vertical leap or if you're fucking dancing at a wedding, right? If you're the guy who's out there and you're just getting it to the song, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if you look good dancing, but people will be like, oh, he's fucking getting it. That's awesome. And if they're not like that, that's just because they're stuck in their own fear and they want justifications of why they don't have to do something that's scary to them. But good human beings are always going to be excited when you go for it. Yeah. They don't actually care if you fail. Fear's a bitch, man. Fear is a bitch. It is the bitch. Yeah. It is the bitch. When you boil everything down, like that's the virus. That's the thing that infects us all. Yeah, and it is contagious. Contagious as fuck. You can surround yourself with people that, that have it and you'll get it. Mm -hmm. You'll be in a training environment that has it. You'll be in, you know, in the military. I remember looking back at units. You know, we, we had a deployment where we had not one guy, we had two two hundred and change direct action missions for deployment. So like we went and blew up 200 and something front doors, rushed in and found bad guys. So then the next, the next deployment, we're like, oh man, we were like, oh, for 200, like how are we gonna beat that? We're fearful of not being perfect again. And it created the, a, a bad chemistry where we're, instead of training to be the best and trying to, instead of training to be faster, stronger, harder to kill, more accurate, more violent. We were training not to fail. Yeah. And and it and it was 
it, it took somebody from the outside coming in and be like, hey, man, your unit is messed up right now. Like the mentality, you know, and, and, and it was just fear. We were, yeah. we were fearful of failing when we should have just been failing at every opportunity. Yeah. It's a weird it's thing. Hard. That's the challenging thing about war, though, right? Because war is one of the few, like we get a lot of playgrounds where we get to play. Like ultimately, even the UFC, even though the stakes are pretty high and you have money on the line, it's still a playground. You can lose, you can come back, you're going to have a microphone, most likely at the end, and you'd be like, yeah, you know, I learned a lot from that. I could have prepared a little better. I'll be back. War, there may not be that microphone at the end of it, you know, and that's, that's I think, what boggles my mind when I think about, you know, you top-level performers out there in that, in that field because you don't get to learn from the full mistake. You have to learn from, like, the micro-mistakes, the almost-mistakes, and you have to learn those really fucking good because yeah. the, the, a real mistake, that's your only mistake. And you don't get a, a second swing in the batter box. Yeah, you know? that's a weird, like how, the, the idea of learning from that, you know, I guess, like you said, you just have to, the training, and then in the training learn, and then, you know, that near misses, you know, that bullet that fucking whizzes by you, and you're like, damn, I wasn't quite ready for that one. You yeah. know, or so I don't know. We, we have these things, ARs, after action reviews, and um, it's not just for us, it's so... An after action, action review is we look at the things that we did well, which we call sustains, and the things that we did poorly that we call improves. And we look at every single element of a mission. Um, so if the Navy SEALs go into a mission, um, you know, we look at their hair product, we look at their, the, the length <laughs> of the shorts, we look at how tan they were. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but we, we, we look at uh, their platform, how they got to the fight, what right. helicopter, vehicle, what their load plan was. Was it good? Was it bad? Mm -hmm. How they got off the helicopter, how they moved into the target, how they did actions on the objective. Once they moved off the exfil to the helicopter, to getting, like, what, and we look at every single moment of that whole entire operation and we do a uh, sustain or improve. Mm -hmm. Because we don't, just like you said, we don't have another chance. Yeah. So we have to learn at every single opportunity. And every time that we go and do a mission, we, I mean, almost violently do this AR, this process, because it is one of the most important moments to learn, to improve, because we don't get another ch chance at it. You know, if we mess it up, like, there's no, there's no coming back from that one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is there something about the, <clears throat> is there something about those grave consequences that actually helps the learning process, though? Because I feel like in other situations where you can kind of get by, maybe you can, you're, you can, have a bigger ego that prevents you from admitting failure and admitting fault like oh no whatever because there isn't that pressure of potential imminent death like is that final consequence helpful in removing people's egos allowing you to look honestly at your mistakes because you just have to um i i can't speak to all special operations but specifically with army special forces um it's really hard to have an ego. Because that'll probably get you killed. Yeah. For, for two years, the whole entire process of getting your Green Beret is just stripping the, the bean, the person, the soldier, um, down. All, all we're doing is stripping them down, layer by layer of their ego, their pride, their physicality, their intellect. We're just stripping it down to what is ultimately going to be kind of this raw, exposed person. And that's all we want. So when you get to a team, you are a raw, 
vulnerable, exposed human. And it's the best way to be. And everybody is that same way. And everybody latches on to that to protect that exposed person. Mm-hmm. So the, I'm not protected by what I have on me. I have, I'm protected by what's around me. And that's right. my brothers. Right. And, um, and it's the same, you know, like the, the reason dudes jump on grenades in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. The, the reason that um, I'm going to step in the center of a hallway, what we call plating, which is taking my body armor and I'm going to put it in the center of the hallway. So everybody behind me can move down the hallway without getting shot in the back um, because I'm putting myself in the center to block those bullets um, is because the only thing that's going to protect my exposed ego, my exposed person, my exposed soul, my exposed brain, my, this body, this bag of blood is the dudes around me. And uh, that's a pretty, there's nothing more beautiful and there's nothing more pure and there's nothing I love more than that feeling of brotherhood, camaraderie. I don't even, that, those are all wrong words for, for it and I'm doing a horrible job explaining it. Um, but in those two years, two and a half years that guys go through the Special Forces qualifying course, you know, people think that you're learning how to be this this cold-eyed, slithery snake killer. All that they're doing is stripping away mm-hmm. layers so that when you get to your unit, when you get to your team, you're just a raw, exposed person. Yeah, and when you're saying raw, exposed, what you're really meaning, that raw, exposed thing, it may sound vulnerable, but that's actually where your strength is because the weak parts of you are your ego. Yeah. It is your pride. It is yeah. your identity. It's the things you think about yourself. It's the limits that you've put upon yourself. It's the fears that you have about what other people will think about you. That's all the shit that makes it hard to get along with people. That's the shit that makes it hard to see other people as yourself. That's what makes it hard to have brothership and yeah. have friendship and camaraderie. It's all of that bullshit of trying to be superior, trying to be dominant because the ego is afraid that it's not dominant. So it tries to assert this, this type of thing. And if you pull all that away and you get with another group of people who all have that all away and you're bound by this common mission, you know, it makes absolute sense how this team would congeal together yeah. as one unit, a unit that's put the goal of the unit and put the goal of the mission above even their own life. Special thing. It's a cool thing. I yeah. love it. You know, like I get, I get to, I'll deploy in March, end of March, <laughs> April, and um, I, forget, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. You're a crazy person. You know, it's amazing. I was talking to, I was talking to Mike Dolce about um, one of the things. You know, he'll go through weight cuts with his with his fighters, sit in the sauna. You know, and and a lot of obviously, especially, I think people are still cutting a savage amount of weight, but there is probably at the peak you know, when there was IVs available and everything that was online, people cutting just an unreal amount of weight and losing that much water weight will strip someone down. And yeah. he was saying that one of his favorite things was that moment of surrender that comes when you're at that last two pounds and you just got absolutely nothing. And you're all of these things that you're projecting, everything you're trying to be, like, I'm this guy. Yeah. It's like, nah, man, I, I'm fucking this guy. And I got this much sweat left. Like, help, man, I love you. I'm sorry, I'm fucked. You know, like, That's funny. and he's like that, you get to see someone's soul. Like, you get to see who they really are in that. And it, it sounds like that's, you know, and then you, they water back up and by the time they're out there, they're, yeah. you know, what it doing whatever they are they've put on some level of identity you know probably the champions put on less of that identity and they live with less of that but but yeah it's interesting because we all have those moments and it can happen in the gym you know when you've given it all you got it can happen in the sauna it's super important to get to those spots yeah man i didn't even think about 
So when, when I would cut really, really hard, there's only three or four people I would let be around me. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you're totally right. I, I felt so open. Yeah. You know, like there was, there was nothing there to hide. <laughs> Not only physically there was nothing because I'm like 4% body fat and I'm, you know, you're pretty much naked while you're cutting weight in those last few pounds. Um, so like, Dick is as small as it's ever been. Yeah, and that's the tiniest it'll be. <laughs> you have sucked the moisture <laughs> out of that thing. It is a raisin. Yeah, that's so true. I, I love like in the afternoon, you're like, when you're fully hydrated, you've taken a shower, maybe you've been in the pool, you're like, yeah, yeah I'll walk around with that. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a dick slinging vanilla gorilla <laughs> yeah. right now. But then like when you're, you know, a 220 pound guy that's now 186.2 <laughs> pounds. You've been in a sauna for the past four hours and you haven't had anything to drink for the past 36 hours. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> Bro. Nah. No. No. <laughs> no. Co-ed, co-ed sauna ain't yeah, gonna work. Nah. Nah. Yeah. So I, I would have like Greg Jackson, um, my team from yeah. Jackson MMA. You know, there's like Cowboy. Um, there's maybe like five or six guys that I would be around. And then um, one of my best friends, Nick Palmashano, and Shane, Andrew Craig. I mean, in 10, 10 years, that's probably the only guys that have right. seen me at that moment. Right. That's a cool perspective. I never even yeah. thought about that. And that was subconsciously, I wasn't intentionally like pushing people away. Sure. That was just like, I think they did it too. Like they're protecting me. For sure. For sure. Because that's, and I think. Also a snarky <laughs> little bitch. <laughs> yeah of course because you know that's also that's also part of it you know you're fucking hungry and thirsty and and all that so you have to be around people that are not going to be reactive you have to be people that are stripped of enough of their ego and they're like hey he said that mean thing to me you know you know you don't want to be with someone like hey man you really hurt my feelings on that weight cut (laughs) like you don't want to be with that motherfucker you want to be with a guy like you were a fucking bitch during that weight cut you know i'm glad you're fucking hydrated you were an insufferable asshole but tell you that later you know like not like make just laugh about it like you need to be with people that are that solid for sure but everybody needs to like almost all of us are not going to be in combat. We're not going to have that chance or go through special forces training, but you can push yourself, you know, closer to that. You can go in. Like I was just in a Temascal, which a Temescal, which is like the Mexican version of the Inipi, the sweat lodge, the native American sweat lodge, but they build this like a stone igloo and they bring in all these like molten hot rocks in the middle. And then they just keep pouring water and steam and it's cave dark in there. So it just keeps getting hotter yeah, and hotter. Do you realize how different our lives are? Yeah. This very is why different. I think I love you. Well, because, <laughs> because like I love contrast. And holy go go on. Yeah, tell yeah. me, tell right. me more, Aubrey. Okay, so, so you go shit. out. Sorry, so I'll what? set the scene. So you go out and there's this raging fire, and there's all oh. these rocks underneath the raging fire. And you go through like a purification ceremony, get down in your shorts, they blow copal on you, which is like a, a resin that's native to Mexico. It smells very astringent, almost like a eucalyptusy smell. And they just kind of wash you in the smoke. And then you go in there and they bring in what are called the grandfathers. They call them the grandfathers because stones have been around before men, before anything. So they're like the original physical form of mm-hmm. the earth, the stones. Did you smash them? So they, no, they're already, okay. they're already kind of cut up. <laughs> Did you smash them? Okay. So they bring in the abuelitos, they call them abuelitos in Spanish because it's a Temascal. And it's in this like igloo looking hut. And they bring them out of the fire, put them in this little, um, you know, container in the center. They kind of dig out the center and then they put them in the center. And then they have buckets of water. And then after they bring in all the abuelitos, which is like 20 of these molten hot rocks, it's already getting hot in there. Maybe like a tiny pinhole of, of air that's kind of clogged up, but sometimes it's just completely closed. 
and then they'll have like a heavy rug that'll close over the, the opening to the hut. You can't stand up in it. You got to sit down in it. So the heavy rug closes over the opening and it is cave dark. And then the leader of the lodge, the leader of the Tomasco, starts pouring water and singing prayers and singing songs. And the steam, obviously, hitting the rocks, it just starts to, you can't see it because it's cave dark, but you just feel it. And it's just getting hotter. And hotter, this is making me anxious. and hotter and hotter and you just he just keeps pouring mm -hmm. and keeps praying and keeps singing and keeps pouring and then you you know try to sit for as long as you can and then when the heat gets too much to bear you lie down because the air is slightly cooler on the ground but then he keeps pouring and he keeps pouring in the herbs and the smoke and the air until finally you're just sipping that last bit of cool air off the ground wondering if you're going to die in the middle of the blackness in the heat listening to prayers you can't understand mm -hmm. in spanish you know that are going on and then at that moment when you think like i may die and you surrender to that and like if this is the way so be it and you have that moment he'll say his final prayers gracias gracias mother gracias patrimonio gracias whatever and he'll open the door and you'll see the light come through or the starlight come through and the cool rush of air will come through and you'll crawl out on your hands and knees and you'll look out at the world like reborn, like a new babe, Crazy. you know? And like you go through that fucking experience and you get just a little taste, like a little taste of, of who you are as a human being, you know? And it's fucking beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Like we need that as human beings. We need these these pressures and if they're not going to most of us they're not going to come yeah. we have to go find them but you're like surrendering to those and, th yeah. and that that's why we are so contrast <laughs> we're in a, in a cool way yeah. you know we're like um ice and fire black and and light you know it's um everybody has that like fight or flight thing you mm -hmm. know Yep. And surrender is in between those things. To, to, to knowingly, to acknowledge, to eyes wide open, be like, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go through this process, this experience, this journey. Yeah. Um, I do not have that. <laughs> you know, I, but I'll tell you what, you know, if you put me in that corner and you, you bring in a velociraptor on cocaine, I will fight that <laughs> motherfucker to the death. You're like, I know I have that. I got right, that fight right, in me. Right, right, um, You strap me into a plane and set it on fire, like... I will tear the plane to shreds <laughs> to get out of it, you know? Right. Um, you drop me in freezing cold water, like, I'll swim until I live. You're like, or I'll just blah, 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 go to the bottom. Yeah. It's whatever. But I'm going to fight right. to the end. That surrender thing, like, that just, my mind, I, I, yeah. I think about this for a little bit. Yeah. Way. Like, that's crazy. That's cool. It is. I mean, that is where I've actually done most of my fighting. Like, the other, the, I haven't had the chances that you've had to really fight in that external sense. I love it. I love it. But I haven't had too many chances. I actually miss it. I was talking with other people. I'm like, I'm about to turn 37. I'm like, what the fuck can I do that kind of still matters a little bit as a sport? Because I can play, play pick, like play pickup basketball. I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. Like I've dropped 30 on people plenty of times and it doesn't make me nervous. It's not yeah. going to get me fired. Unless somehow we could get aggregate like a couple thousand fans and people like who really cared, then basketball would be like fun again. Like, it's still fun, but it's just a it's just a play. But I, but to do something physically, I think is something that I'm yearning for because most of the heavy lifting, like the hard work I've done, it's all in that surrender sphere. It's in the temescal, it's in the ayahuasca ceremony, it's in a iboga ceremony where you have to lay there and allow all the demons of the universe to come at you, and instead of fighting them, because that's 
a pointless process. You just have to surrender to their existence and yeah. try to push love and do nothing, you know, like do the least. Like that's, right. that's where my fi heavy fighting has been. And I miss the other, I miss the other side, yeah. you know. And probably as you, as probably as you get older, and since we're homies, you know, maybe this, there'll be a transition into yeah. you learning to to fight through surrender. You know, I mean, there's, it's just, uh, it's there are two different two different ways to approach the same thing. Yeah, to get it the same experience. Mm -hmm. I've I've um what about I've I have some ideas. We we could, like, you pick two things and we go and compete in them. And I'll pick two things, and we go and compete in them. Yeah, that would be dope. Just we'll, we'll go do a random three-gun tournament. Shotgun, rifle, pistol. Yeah. Right? It's super physical. It's hand-eye coordination. It's fast. And, um, and it's exposed, right? There's a bunch of fat old white dudes that go out there and think <laughs> they're fast. And then we'll go and do um, a basketball tournament. Yeah. And, and you'll see this hairy <laughs> troll crawl out from beneath the bridge, and I'll try to eat the ball, yeah. take the ball from my mouth, <laughs> And then tell me what to do with it. Just, just, pop, just yeah. try and pop it. Just hold it so hard yeah. that, that you explode. <laughs> <laughs> Game over. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, man. We can fucking we can do stuff. I love I love playing. Yeah, shooting stuff, playing playing with balls. I'm down. <laughs> Fuck it. We can figure some shit. Out. I was actually thinking about speaking of sword fight. I was thinking about trying to pursue that a little bit more. I mean, I still have. I don't maybe not don't quite have the fast twitch that I used to, but it's still pretty. Still pretty good, pretty much there, and I feel like you know, kendo, like maybe taking that a little bit more seriously. The problem is, how do you find something as you grow older that people actually care about enough to watch, or like that that really is meaningful to you? You know what I mean? Like that's what I miss from high school, college. You know, high school again, a couple thousand people at the games. You had your girls there. It like mattered. It was social status. It was in the papers. It was it was like important. And then in college, you know, I didn't end up playing college ball for the team, but. Uh, I got a chance to represent my fraternity, so we'd get 500 people out there. It'd be our drunk ass idiots fighting other drunk ass yeah. idiots for the fucking letters that we had on our lodge, even though we're two of the same fucking people that are just decided to go under different letters. But literally, fist fights would go out, people chanting names, people yelling fucking the nastiest shit they could about who someone fucked or whatever yeah. happened, and and so it, like it mattered, and people would talk about that for a month. So it satisfies that urge to do something that's like. Oh man, that thing was that thing was awesome. Got my blood up. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I think we're gonna have as competitors, as people that try to push the envelope and push the limits. Like we'll have that itch till the day that we die, you know. And and yeah. finding ways to scratch it are gonna be challenging. You know, people ask all the time, "Am I gonna go back to the octagon and fight?" You know, like that itch is always there. You know, I still train two times a day, six days a week. Um, I can come in and train with still the highest level guys at Jackson's and, and here and at my gym, um, you know. But there's other itches. It's true that that have to be scratched. <laughs> there's other, um, and I, I think the I have less of a um, desire or this inclination, this drawing, this um, it's almost like this magnet, gra this magnetic gravity that's pulling you to do something. Um, less about stepping in front of people and doing it for them, but more for doing it for me. Yeah. You know, um, or even more so doing it for the people you'll inspire. Yeah. Yeah. Is it exact? How do you know that? Mm. That's it though. Like it's more for me now. It's like, I want to 
I want to inspire. Like I want to encourage. I want people to step out and get that fearlessness, that that courage. So then, then it's like the question is, how do I go about doing that? Yeah, I think that's the right question to ask. And I think you know there is a, a valuable lesson of letting go of things that are part of certain chapters and letting go of those with grace. Like we're not going to be able to carry all of the things that we've enjoyed for our whole life into every aspect of our life. There'll be new new things that we can enjoy new things that we can experience and you know it takes a, a bit of grace to to realize like oh you know i'm never going to compete in front of a bunch of people and have them give a shit anymore but i can do this thing now i can give a talk that'll inspire way more people that i couldn't give then i can you know have a great podcast i can you know build this company create a new product do these other things that i wasn't able to do then so yeah. letting go of some of those things is i think an important thing that humans are not probably the best at no you know we want all of it all the time you know everything we've ever had we want it to be stable nothing is stable time changes the landscape constantly yeah i mean it, but there's a lot of people that we can look to you know like the, the micros and and the jockos that did that gracefully mm -hmm. you know like um mike now you know he used to have that dirty job show and he was doing crazy things for television. You know, like he's crawling into sewers and fighting rats. And um, you're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And he's like showing these neat occupations. And now all he's doing is, is showing the selflessness of, of humans. Yeah. You know, he just goes around the country and finds people. And then you know, podcasts, you, Facebook, YouTube, showing selflessness in, in kind of like the most beautiful form of, of this human condition. Uh, you know, like Jocko, like, you know, he's not going to kick any doors as a Navy SEAL anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he's going to compete a few more times as, as a black belt, a really good, talented one and a powerful guy. But he has moved from that ferocious, scary Navy SEAL into this powerfully inspiring, encouraging, motivationally um, exhilarating human. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you hear five sentences out of him and you're like, yeah, I'll run into a burning <laughs> yeah. building and, and, and fight a dinosaur. Yeah. Yes, I will. Um, so, so there are roadmaps to doing it. And, and I look to guys like that and Joe and, and you and, 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 and finding the best and most pure and honest way to do it. Yeah. You know, there are some really disingenuous people that are like trying to carry from one era or phase of their life like you know into the next mm. and it it's so it seems so insincere like you you can see Jocko does it cuz he loves inspiring people you know yeah. he loves really showing people how to be leaders um Joe does it cuz that's just who he is mm -hmm. you know and, and he can't change that um and Mike's the same and you know he's a he's a exposed libertarian that wants to change the educational system and he thinks the um, the way that universities function are broken and he's trying to heal the, you know, this country yeah. one job at a time, which is really freaking cool. Um, I'm just trying to follow in their footsteps, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that's the mission. The mission should change in scope to an even grander mission. You know, and I think if you look back, all of these other things, even though they were enjoyable, they were kind of practice. They were kind of practice for our real purpose, like what we're really here to do. <clears throat> I had a friend, uh, I had a friend who's an author, and he's in his 50s, name's Ted Decker, and uh, he's writing a book now, and he told me, I talked to him, he's one of my, kind of one of my mentors, and he's sold over 10 million copies of different books, published 12, 15 books, I don't know, and he's writing, 
this book now, and he's saying, I know that when I finish this book, I can die. Like, I've done what I'm here to do. Like, I can die after I finish this book. I'm not ready to die yet. I kind of want another 10 years or so. But he's like, I know that when I'm done, I can die. And I was like, I just got goosebumps, and I actually started, like, tearing up. Like, oh, shit. This is a guy who knows his purpose so well yeah. and knows, exa- knows what he's been here to do so well that he knows that when he finishes this work, it's cool to die. Everything else is just play. You know, I was like, damn, man, that's a fucking, that's something to really look, look for, look toward is like, can you get there? (laughs) You know, can you get there? My purpose, you know, is to, to find dirt bags and uh, either bury them or fuck them up. (laughs) And I'm going to do that until I'm like 95, you know? Like, are you if, gonna have to find old dirt bags if you're 95? Well, I mean, like, are you gonna just be like Walker? I mean, Hitler, Hitler would be like 130 years old right now, so I could take you know at 95, I could take 130 year old Hitler. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, taking a cane, you yeah. know, maybe having like a little spike on it, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I just stab him as I walk by. Uh huh. You know, the Harvey Weinstein's. Could you imagine being in the hotel room, like you're in room 504 at the whatever some swanky hotel in la that he's trying to mm-hmm. sexually assault some poor girl in and you and you just hear her say no and then you hear his creepy voice being like i'm telling you and you're like you know what? i'm gonna go knock on that door <laughs> what's up you nasty old dude or I'm you or you just that could be in that could be your new thing it could be a new show called surprise motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> and it's like to catch a predator except it's way more violent yeah you I mean, mean in surprise motherfucker you're just in the closet somewhere right and you're just waiting for someone to be a real dirtbag. And maybe they don't be a dirtbag. And then you just stay in the closet and you secretly leave yeah. later. You know, you have your fucking warrior bar, you chill. But if they get a dirtbag, surprise, motherfucker! And then you're out there and then they got to reckon with you. Uh, we'll have exposed Tim talk here. Um, that's pretty much my fantasy right there. <laughs> Every night when I go to bed, it's like terrorist comes uh, into my home or I'm just the what is the wrong place at the wrong time for most people is like the perfect is my dream come true. You know, like I'm at a, a resort in Niger and a bunch of Boko Haram guys storm the hotel to murder everybody. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. You know, (laughs) you know what, you know, what's funny is like when I was, when I was real young, surprise motherfucker, motherfucker. (laughs) wrong hotel, wrong time, bitches. Yes. I used to, I was so bad and I was so like self-conscious about and so afraid of failing talking to girls when I was, uh, when I was younger that the fantasy of me and I was, I was just so bad at it, like, and so timid and so scared. I don't believe you, but go on. When I was like, yeah, when I was real young. And so I would have fantasies like that of like some bully trying to like because I was always training martial arts yeah. and that would be like my consistent day in day out fantasy just just find someone who's trying to be bad to some girl and I'll yeah. come in I'll fucking kick his ass and then I won't have to talk about anything because <laughs> then I'll be a hero already you know and like I had that I had that my like literally that was my, playing through my head like every day as a kid you know eventually eventually I got better and better by high school and whatever I was I was fine talking to girls but like younger in elementary school going into like going into middle school I was like way too, way too bound up about it. Yeah. So that was just my consistent fantasy. And when I was training and when I was doing martial arts, I was just like, please, please let it be the day. Let it be the day that Sarah or Ashley or whoever I was fixated on has some asshole or, you know, who's trying to fuck with her. Yeah. God. Funny. Yeah. 
the hero impulse, you know, that desire to be able to, there's some, there's a beautiful simplicity to it. And I think probably a lot of men get frustrated by our inability to be that, right? Like I think in, in a primitive set, in a primitive setting, men get to be that all the time. There's the wolves come in, a snake comes into the snake comes into the hut and it's striking and you have to like deal with it. Or there's a warring clan that's coming to try and raid and steal your women and you get to fight and be a hero. Like that's a part of who we are. Yeah. And that's a part that almost none of us get to access anymore. Yeah, I, I think the, um, the first, being a man is awesome. It's, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool opportunity and it's a, it has to be a selfless thing. Um, a lot of people think I'm a conservative, which is, I think, really funny because I'm not. <laughs> you know, like, I am, I couldn't, like, I couldn't hate, like, Republicans and, and Democrats more because I'm so in the middle. And, yeah. um, and a, a conservative hearing something like safe space, like, oh, you snowflake, we don't say things like that. But we as men, we have had a safe space since our balls dropped. Have you ever walked down the road and thought there might be somebody around the corner that's going to rape you? Never. Never. No. Have you ever looked at a hotel room and be like, I wonder who's in the room next to me and they might try to come into my room? Or you look at the door that connects those two rooms and you make sure it's locked because you don't want somebody to come in while you're sleeping and try to rape you. No, I did have Alan Joban training in his underwear in the hallway <laughs> of a room, and I was a little worried that yeah. he was going to go in and fuck Whitney when I was gone because he is a good-looking yeah. guy. But you're, but you're scared for her. <laughs> I was actually scared for me because I think both of them would really enjoy it. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, you know, 100%. So, so that's, 100%. That, I mean, that's a safe space. Yeah. You know, so like every, every Tim Kennedy fan that thinks um, I would never say safe space, we operate in these safe spaces. And, and with that there's this responsibility to be a protector. Um, a man, what I think a man is, masculine, powerful, um, selfless man, would never, on their worst day, their worst attitude, worst ever, hurt something less strong than them. Mm -hmm. Like our purpose for being here, all the way back to primal, like you're saying, comes to fighting a goddamn wolf. Yeah. A snake comes in. That's that's protector. That means that we will always do everything in our power to protect something near us. Yeah. That's we're not going to objectify a woman. We're not going to have them on the grid of F one and in the scantily thing and be like, oh yeah, look at that girl. That's not what we're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. We're gonna we're gonna look at every opportunity to try to protect them, and and any even another guy that's smaller than us. We're gonna we're gonna be the first person to step up to protect them. Yeah. And that has been missing for a really long time. And it's a beautiful thing. There's this attack on masculinity. We're like, like being a white man, you have all these privileges. Yes, we do. We do. I do. Mm -hmm. Like I came from an upper middle class. My, my folks own land in California. Like I could not have had it better. And with that came privilege. I'm a white 220 pound guy. I have a crazy amount of privilege. And with that comes opportunity and a responsibility as a man, as a masculine, powerful human to protect those yeah. around me. It's not about the privilege. It's what you do with it. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that people say. It's not something to knock you and undermine. It's to say, all right, here's your starting position. With that starting position, how far did you run? Where did yeah. you go? You know, it's, it's this it's this crazy thing. It's like, you know, when people are on the track and one person is staggered ahead because of the curve of the track, you know, it's like, 
judging people based on their starting position, not even looking how they ran. Well, he got that starting block. Well, it doesn't matter that he ran his ass off and fucking did everything he could. He had a good starting position. So everything you've done is fucking undermined, which is total bullshit, you know, because like, yes, there's certain advantage, you know, advantageous positions that everybody will have, especially if you go comparatively. But it's never about that. It's about what did you do from your spot? You, you, we have an opportunity, um, especially now with the, you know, this, the, the pop culture attention to sexual harassment and, um, you know, dirtbag dudes being dirtbag dudes Mm -hmm. for real men to step up and say, okay, this is what a man looks like. This is what real masculinity looks like. This is what a father looks like. This is what a husband looks like. This is what a protector looks like. This, I want to talk about courage and fearlessness. This is somebody that's going to say, step up and say, no, man, you're wrong. Yeah. Think about all of the hundreds and thousands of people around Harvey Weinstein that could have stepped up and said, you're a freaking dick. You're a nasty, disgusting dude. Mm-hmm. No, you can't do that. How many of them did that? I don't care about Harvey. There, there's, he's a dime a dozen. It's the, the, the thousands of other dudes that didn't have the balls to be men, that didn't have the balls to step up and be a protector. Because there's always going to be a... Be- there's because always- they were hoping for that little wink of favor from the powerful Harvey that Fuck would advance that their dude. career, advance their, their little microcosm of how they felt about themselves or the advantage they had. And they, so it creates this distortion around him, you know, and not... Not a man amongst them was strong enough to stand up and say, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. Hey, all the way back to the beginning where we said millions of little decisions, millions of little decisions led up to those little those cowards mm-hmm. not doing something. Mm-hmm. Where they had an opportunity where he, they saw that fat old man take that 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old girl and, and walk out the room with her to, the, to his hotel room and not say something. You know, it was millions of little decisions that that hope for favor, that opportunity for, you know, a producer slot in their next show, whatever pathetic motivation. But more importantly, there were opportunity, and there's still now, right now, there's opportunity for for men to be men and show the world what it looks like to be a protector. Yeah, and um, and we're failing right now. The opportunities there. And people are missing that chance. They're I missing think, that boat. I think a lot of people are, but I also think the microscope, what what everyone is choosing to shine a light on are the failures. You know what I mean? Because that, that facilitates and exacerbates the story. Certainly there are tons of failures. But I don't think the men who are doing the thing are getting nearly the spotlight to start to correct that. It's like, oh, look at this problem. Oh, look at this problem. Look at this problem. Look at this dirt bag. Look at this dirt bag. But how much attention is being given to the positive examples. Yeah. Look at this guy who did say something. Look at this guy who did it the right way. Look at this guy who made it through Hollywood the whole time and treated every woman They're that he hard met to find, with respect. I've been looking. Really? I've been I've been looking for those guys um, in the news, like even searching for them. <laughs> and and they're, they're a diamond in the rough, and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. There, there should be... Tens of millions of them. You know that we, we had a shooting just just down the road from us. Um, a crazy guy walked into a church and started shooting some people. And a guy driving down the road with a concealed carry permit zips off, pulls out his gun, and starts shooting at him, and saved 
countless people inside of that church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just some Texas redneck, yeah. um, but doing the right thing, you right. know, seeing, seeing an opportunity to, to try to protect. I'm looking for that in this story, in these examples, and they're rare. Mm. What, what I'm saying is we now have an opportunity in the next year, in the next five years, to show the world, to show this country, to show, um, you know, for Hollywood, for the Ben Afflecks, for the, um, who's Jason Bourne? Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. You know, for those guys, because they were there. They were there on those nights. For the next generation, for them to step up and show what real courage looks like and what it means to be a man. Yeah. And men don't let that happen. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's making those, you know, it's making those hard, hard-ass choices. And I've met, I've met some men who are like that, and those are the ones that you call brother when you look them in the yeah. eye. Like my homie... Uh, Ed Screen, who played Francis in Deadpool. Did you see Deadpool? Yeah. So he was the bad guy in Deadpool. He got cast as a in a sick role in Hellboy, which would have been another like huge kind of franchise uh, franchise role for him. And but the in the original comic, that character was played by an Asian American actor, and he was fully set to do it. But Asians were like, oh, oh man, you know, this is a chance for like an actual Asian to really burst into the Marvel universe or whatever comic book universe so they were bummed out and he just goes yeah you know you know you're right like this should be this should be someone represented i'm stepping down from the role like no one pressured him to do that he just stepped down from the role and be like there'll be other roles mate like yeah there's no scarcity bruv like yeah. we're fucking good like and that attitude is like something that inspires me and that's attitude that would inspire you and those people are out there but that made that made like a little tiny blurb headline yeah you know what i mean and i think we all need to make a bigger deal about these people that we find that are like that, because there's certainly going to be plenty of the other example. Yeah. And then the problem is, then when you look out at the world, you just look and say, man, the world is fucked. But yeah, in some ways it is, but some ways they're not. There's yeah. fucking, you're, ro- you're rolling around there too. Yeah. You know, like Ed, Scre- Ed Screen is rolling around there too. There's other people rolling around that we don't maybe hear about. And there, are, there is great people and great things about this, this life. I get access to some crazy communities, worlds, cultures, you know, from human trafficking, poaching, you know, this TV show, going and doing the craziest jobs that you can find on the planet. And, um, and I, I'm tuning my eye to see those guys. And, you know, I, I've been in Trinidad, Tobago on a human trafficking sting and watching a John go to meet the girl and the muscles there, the drivers there. I'm and- imagining like a scene from Taken. Yeah, I, I, I wish. Um, so it's a, it's a jilt. We're actually not allowed to do anything. Uh-huh. I, I just need to record the transaction happening, which is the most infuriating, emasculating. Um, you want to talk about Tim's worst nightmare? It's watching evil happen. And not being able to do anything not, about it. Not, not being allowed to do anything because I have to record it happening. But I'm sitting there with a the camera, right? Got a gun in case things get super nasty or we get, or we get caught. And watching some random dude on the street see some little young 15-year-old girl walking up to meet some 45-year-old dude and some 25-year-old Trini, Trinidad guy, walking down the road. It's like, hey, a second. Hey, you. You get back in that car, and you, old man, I'm going to knock your teeth in. And watching it happen. And everybody goes their way, and I follow that guy. You know, I'm like, what do you do? 
You know, mm-hmm. like what? Who are you? Because yeah. who would do that, right? Who one has the 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 whereabouts, the situational awareness to to see what's actually happening? That this that this random little girl walking up to meet some random little guy on the on, old guy on the street corner um, is actually a human trafficking exchange. Yeah. And but but he could sense and he could see that. That's those diamonds yeah. that I'm talking about. And that, those are the guys that are rare. And, and the number of jilts that I've done in the hundreds, I've only seen that twice. Mm-hmm. But that happens in public. It happens at a park. It happens on the street corner. So it's not like there's hundreds of people walking. walking. Like how many people drive down a car that's broken down? There's some poor old lady sitting behind the steering wheel shaking because her car just ran out of gas and she doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 85. But how many people drive down that road? Hundreds? Thousands? You know, we could be right here on 71 or Mopac or 35. And I was driving by and I, I saw an airbag deployed. And every, I mean, thousands of people, I, I don't know how long that person had been there. And it was just an old lady who had a bumper, but she didn't even know how to use her phone because yeah. she was like so spun up. And it took two seconds to walk in there and fix that problem. Yeah. You know, so those opportunities, man, we got a chance right now. You want to talk about inspiring? How many, how many people listen to you? You know, how many people look up to you? You're like, you're athletic, ripped, author, you know, CEO of a company. Like, we have an opportunity to show people what it means to be a man. Yeah. And that it's a cool thing. That masculine's awesome. Opportunity and responsibility. A lot of responsibility. That's what we're here for, man. Yeah. Hurry up and fail. <laughs> Hurry up and fucking fail and, yeah. and be that everyday hero. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, and when you are that, when you are that guy, you'll find yourself in more situations that All you the time. can that you can help people. So true. I remember like Roger Huerta was one of those guys that would be there and he would constantly find himself in these situations. <laughs> so like true. it was I was it would just blow my mind. Like he was like that situation that was on TMZ where that guy comes and crow hops, big old two hundred and eighty pound guy, crow hops and punches that girl in the back of the head. Forty people looking around like Damn, that guy just punched a girl in the back of the head. But Roger, brown dude with tattoos. <laughs> little, little guy walking <laughs> up. You you can't do that, man. It puts his hands in. You can't fucking do that. And then and then pushes him, takes his shirt off, and it's on. Yep. And where does how does that video end? With that big old guy in a fucking heap yep. on the ground. And it was other times that nobody knows about, like someone nearly drowning in the water in Thailand, and he's swimming out there and doing it. I saw the I saw even small crazy incidences where he's just. His training and his attitude. This was a silly one. There was a there was a house party, and a girl who didn't really know how to work a stripper pole on a freestanding stripper pole was swinging around at the top of it. Oh no! Furniture and shit everywhere. The whole thing starts to topple, and she's gonna crash. I mean, definitely not life threatening, but definitely like a party bummer for yeah. sure. Because she would have gotten hurt bad. And all of us were like, "Oh no! There goes the pole!" <laughs> and he just like runs around. And like holds it, you know, like and just stops it from going. Yeah. And all of us are like, "Whoa, nice fucking move, man!" Like we all would have wanted to help, but he's just put himself in that position, yeah. practiced it, you'll and, be he, there more. and you'll see that. And you, and when you start to see that, you'll find yourself in those positions. Yeah, little decisions. Yep, millions of little decisions. And maybe we'll be saving a stripper on a pole the first time. <laughs> Second time will be an old lady behind a wheel. Yeah. Third time, it's going to be some girl on the street corner that just got hit by a dude. Next time, it might be a girl about to be raped yep. behind, a, behind a building. You know, um, maybe you're on the street corner at a marathon in Boston. You see a guy set a bag down. No, there's no telling what it's going to be, but it's going to be millions of little decisions that's going to put you at the right place at the right time to do something incredible.
God damn, I'm fired up to be a man right now. Yeah. God damn, I'm fired up to yeah. be a human being. So let's make good decisions. Let's, let's make fucking good decisions. Uh, I love you people. Tim uh, Kennedy, you're uh, the best. Everybody watches shows. They're fucking amazing. He's hard to kill. That's coming out on Discovery. When's it come out? It's going to be, we have two more episodes to film. So maybe three months. Hopefully he lives through those. <laughs> <laughs> and this show actually comes out. It's great having you on my brother. God, I love being here. Always a pleasure. Yeah. See you later, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You guys are all heroes in my book. And once again, thank you for all the support. Speaking of my book, for the book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, which is launching April 17th. I'm going to be having a bunch of different events, uh, the first of which is going to be March 11th here at Onnit HQ, and then an event in LA, event in New York, and maybe even an event in Vegas. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities to meet me on the road, check out the book, have a conversation. And I look forward to shaking some hands, getting some hugs, taking some pictures, and meeting all you guys out on the road.